Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome and thank you for spending some more time with us on our podcast. Today we have an interesting guest by the name of Dave Harder, who is a community developer. Good morning, Dave, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, Peter. It's wonderful to uh, to be with you. Uh, Dave is a community developer, and Dave, what I'd like to do is start with your academic background and your then your work background. Yeah, I um, went to university in Calgary and went down the route of uh, of ministry. So I was involved in pastoral ministry and church planting for a number of years. Um, and that kind of launched me into the this understanding of neighborhood asset-based community development and what it is to really live into our place, love our neighbors, but also uh, live into kind of that uh, neighborhood and place that uh, we're located in. So um, the last three years uh, resigned from more vocational kind of pastoral ministry and really launched out uh, into more community development, um, helping communities pivot towards place, um, businesses pivot, uh, faith organizations, and and really how neighborhood can impact and change um, how we become um, and who we become. So you've had some involvement with an organization in the U.S. Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah, that was when uh, I was involved in Vancouver um, with a kind of a more consumeristic way of being the church. It was around programs and events and really felt that that just wasn't good for my soul um, and that there was a better way and wasn't good for my neighbors and that there was a better way to engage. So kind of began the search on who's doing creative stuff around neighborhood and got connected with an organization called Parish Collective. And parish just simply means um, a, uh, a place of care, a space of care, um, and uh, the parameters and guidelines around that. So it's a geographical place of responsibility. And really looking at my own neighborhood and going, where am I responsible for? And then who is in that that I'm responsible for? Because we have this mindset of, I want to change the whole world. Um, but the reality is we won't. But what I can do is look around my neighborhood and go, what, what, what can change here? And how can I be um, an advocate for change in this local place that I'm rooted in? And um, so got involved with the Parish Collective, uh, which really is uh, an organization that helps uh, people pivot towards place. And I met you in uh, Markham, Ontario, where you were doing an event there. And it seems that you're doing several of these events across the province. Can you tell us a little bit about the event? Yeah, one of the things that we have really discovered in kind of getting out in our neighborhoods, in our communities, is a a real awareness around isolation. And we're kind of in this space right now of COVID-19, of of being, um, we don't have the choice to engage in connections like we once did. But the reality is isolation has been a part of who we are um, for a long time. And it's the way the system has designed it to be. So we've been an isolated people. We live in perpetual loneliness. Uh, Isolation is an epidemic. 
Um, the reality is we'd walk into coffee shops and people have their earbuds in and are on computers. So even though they may be in a, a space of community, they still walk into that space as an individual. So hyper-individuality is, uh, has, we've just seen as a problem on how we connect within our neighborhood. So one of the host events that could allow people to come in as themselves. We call it a brave space, a brave space where people get to come in as they fully are, be known um, as characters and be known as neighbors. Um, So we host what are called story nights, which is a space where people can tell stories of what they're doing in the neighborhood, whether it's a business owner or a mom or um, an organization, just what are you doing to better serve and care for this community? Uh, And then we have artists as well that we highlight. And I think local art uh, is one way that we can really celebrate what's going on in our neighborhood. And artists have a way of naming things and saying what's really going on uh, in a unique way that uh, often we can't as, uh, as speakers or communicators. So you've run this in several communities, is that right, Dave? Yeah, we did a tour last year to kind of get out into uh, different communities and just feel the pulse of what was happening uh, in those neighborhoods. So we, we went to uh, 11 uh, different different uh, neighborhoods, communities, um, mainly Ontario, and then we did uh, one in Montreal. And that was very eye-opening just to kind of hear the stories in the different places and how each night was different based on the place in which we were at. Um, but we do this in Ottawa. I'm from Ottawa. And we do this in Ottawa in my neighborhood um, every month. And uh, so it's on an ongoing basis where we're building kind of that community resilience, neighborhood connection. What are the issues that we can advocate for together, join um, in together and then what are the celebrations what are the good things that are happening happening in our community that uh, that we often don't hear about so so yeah it's a monthly event in in uh, in my neighborhood um and it's just really really beautiful to get together with neighbors and celebrate what's going on and then connect okay so obviously i have to ask what are some of the interesting stories that you've had uh, delivered at, at your sessions yeah, there's been so many. Um, I'll share uh, a couple. One is um, the space in which we meet in. Uh, it's a coffee shop called Arlington Five. Um, and it's not just any coffee shop. Uh, Jessie Duffy is the owner uh, of the coffee shop. And her heart is really to be a neighborhood connector. So she doesn't want dollars to be the bottom line of business. But what if connection was? And that really changes how one um, creates their space and animates their space. So she is, I would say, a social entrepreneur, um, one who is really wanting to see her space utilized for connection uh, and a deeper meaning beyond just a capitalistic exchange. Um, so we meet in that space, and, and just to hear from her on how um, – making connection the value has kind of changed her business model. And uh, so even now she's pivoting uh, once again, because people can't obviously meet in the coffee shop and, and is really wanting to have her space um, serve the larger needs in the neighborhood. Those who are vulnerable, those who are marginalized um, and, uh, and to serve into those marginalized communities. So, so Arlington five is just a great story of, uh, of how she's embedded in that neighborhood and, and kind of a fabric of love and care, uh, in the community. Uh, and then people have shared stories. There's one gentleman who shared a story, uh, where he started what's called porch fest and every August, um, instead of doing the big festival, he kind of goes, you know what, we just come and, and we're, uh, 
in a sea of people. He said, what if we did something that was more neighborly and engaged in the neighborhoods in which we were in? So um, on a Saturday in August, um, artists go out on their porch and people can tour around the neighborhood and hear the variety of local artists that are in their neighborhood as they play music on their porches. Um, we had a, and this was kind of on the risky side, we had a burlesque dancer um, share her story on identity and sexual identity and how she is finding um, herself in unique, beautiful ways as she um, has come out as queer and black and realizing who she is as a, as a woman of color. Um, as a queer woman of color. Um, we've had uh, people who are just loving their neighbors in really beautiful ways. And one share a story of how they're hosting a block party. Um, and they've done it every year and they have, uh, they had over 200 neighbors come just to their block party and they have food together and a local craft brewery comes. And so it's just stories of how connection is really uh, taking place in the neighborhood in really diverse ways. So the challenge right now with the virus is, how would you connect people in those communities in this type of situation, or are you doing it right now? Yeah, it really is a conversation on how do we still foster connection. So here's what I'm doing in, in ways in which I, I think we need to imagine what connection can look like, because we can't lose connection. Connection is so vital. I think we're realizing that we're, we're, seeing how isolation can really harm and hinder us. Um, so one of the ways that things I'm doing last night, for example, we had uh, a neighborhood check-in on Zoom, um, called it neighborhood happy hour. And at six o'clock, we you know, got our drink of choice and um, six different families showed up on Zoom together. And we just checked in for over an hour and just conversations and questions. We laughed together and it was just really beautiful to be able to check in with my neighbors. Yeah, we maybe couldn't go over to their house or be in their backyard or have a barbecue together, but we still are finding ways to check in and provide care for each other. Um, so it's one example. Another is the coffee shop that I just mentioned, uh, Jesse, and the organization that I run this out of is called Good City People. Um, and you can go to goodcitypeople.ca to kind of see a little bit more about what we're doing here uh, in Ottawa and beyond. So Good City People is going to join with Arlington Five, and we're going to actually host an online coffee hour where the you know people in our community and neighborhood that often went to that coffee shop are really missing that community. And how can we find ways to do that online and to utilize technology in creative ways to still have feeling this, to still feel this space for connection uh, with one another? So you talked about this lady who runs the coffee shop. How is she uh, surviving under the current conditions? Yeah, it's been very challenging. Um, here's what's been really good about this time is the reality is, is that the system has not been working. And we're stuck in this system that's, uh, you know, this capitalistic kind of way where money and power um, drives often the narrative. And in that, we don't have time and space to pause and to go, you know what, it's really never been working, but what are new ways of actually doing business? What are new ways that we can um, invent and reimagine these things that, that we just get stuck in the rat race of money and production? So a lot of my friends right now are taking this time to really reimagine 
uh, what business could look like if connection and community resilience was the point. Um, so she's redesigning her business and taking this time to redesign her business and uh, just actually got a, a grant that was approved yesterday um, for her to, and I wish I, I, I knew more information, but she's going to be helping those in the margins uh, with food security um, and then using her space uh, as a place to kind of do that. And so anyways, there's some really beautiful things that are emerging as she uh, reconsiders her business model because she has time to do that now. Oh, that's terrific. So one of the organizations I know you recently uh, connected with is the Community Innovation Hub and, yes. and the work that they're doing. Can you tell me a little bit how you see partnering or connecting with that group? Yeah, one of the things that I, um, in my community development, kind of what I do um, in my kind of job in terms of of, of making money at this is working with primarily churches and faith organizations around how their buildings can be utilized as community hubs um, in the neighborhood. And because we're, we're losing these spaces that have been such a huge community community asset for years, decades, um, where AA meets and mom and tots yoga meets and um, music lessons and choirs. And so they've been these places that have had great um, connection in the neighborhood. And often when they, uh, when, as we see the decline in, in religion specifically and in, in institutional religion, spirituality is definitely on the rise, but this decline in kind of this institution, we're seeing that people are not, you know, my neighbors are not considering where to go to church on, uh, on Saturday night. It's not a question that's on their mind. So as people are not showing up in these buildings for church, there's a massive decline uh, in attendance, but there's also a decline in maintenance, deferred maintenance, um, and then the, the burden uh, of the dollar value on these buildings <clears throat> is high when a congregation doesn't have the money and resources to care for it. So we've created kind of a model on how to come alongside faith communities and help them turn and pivot towards a community hub model. So it's been great kind of seeing what, uh, what you and Carla are doing uh, within the, the, the community hub, the innovation hub, and how can we help churches innovate and create uh, around um, restoring these spaces and reimagining these spaces. So Dave, are you limited just to church or does that include synagogues and mosques? We're definitely not limited towards church, but it has been our focus. Um, so uh, uh, parish properties, uh, dots, uh, dot CA is, is, uh, is where you could kind of find information on that. And right now we're, we, we, we aren't limiting that. We have contacted some Legion halls um, and, uh, and other organizations because it definitely is not just churches that are facing the, um, the decline. Uh, it is kind of these... Uh, yeah, institutions that, that just are, there's a shift and a change in how uh, people are connecting and they're not going uh, to the spaces that, that they used to. Um, so yeah, so there needs to be a reimagining and how can these spaces uh, be retooled, reorganized, reused. And they have tremendous amount of uh, underutilized space inside, but they also so have space outside. They do. So I was at a Mennonite church outside of Kitchener, and uh, they have four acres of land outside, totally unused. Wow. 
Yeah, it's amazing how many acres, you know, we're working with a church in Seattle that has two acres and, you know, right in the downtown core of the city. And, and it's, what could we do? How could we reimagine these spaces if we actually ask the neighborhood what the needs are in the community? Um, and I just think there's tremendous opportunity. Uh, we think about, you know, probably every major city across Canada is having a housing crisis. Well, what could this look like if communities of faith considered their property um, and the space in which they have as a way to to, to help uh, um, alleviate uh, affordable housing, mixed-use housing? Um, so, yeah, there's lots of opportunities I think we can we can see emerge uh, if we actually looked around us and the needs in our community. So part of the challenge for the congregations is how to balance spiritual and financial or economic issues. Yes. How do you see that uh, being a challenge? Yeah, we've um, had to create a model that really addresses the millions of dollars of deferred maintenance that most of the congregations are facing. Um, and the number across the board is $3 million plus. So when you're faced with a bill of $3 million, there's no amount of bake sales that is going to raise enough to cover that. Nor is there even enough partners and a renting model um, that is going to care for that. So we've really had to create an approach um, with, uh, we've had a team of experts, um, city planners, uh, developers, um, financial advisors who've kind of come in and said, what can we do that doesn't allow the space to get lost to just highest and best use and the sale to developers? Because I don't think that's helpful. But there is also this model of development that actually is helpful. And how can development be a helpful play in uh, securing the dollars needed to reimagine the space itself, but yet not uh, not lose um, the space to sale. So, so we've created a hybrid uh, uh, a hybrid approach that does development on the space, but allows the church or that community to maintain ownership of the space. So, there's an upcoming event called uh, something called an eco gathering event that uh, you may be encouraging some people to participate in. Have you heard yeah, of that one? It, yeah, Carla was on a call with her recently and she was telling me about it and went to, to the, the link, the Eventbrite link, and got really excited about um, what's being offered and, and the conversation um, that I think we need to have, especially in this moment, because here's the reality. Most churches don't believe they're in crisis until it's way too late. And they come into the conversation too late. So, what we're seeing now with COVID-19 and the, the pandemic, churches are not meeting in their buildings. So we're seeing now the crisis accelerated because they're still paying um, to keep these buildings open and functioning. So, um, so the crisis coming out of this is not going to be less. It's going to be greater. So we do have to have models of, uh, that can help churches um, through this time. So, you raise an interesting question on the financial side. How does uh, communities of faith uh, collect money from their parishioners at this time? Yeah, there are a lot of online giving models. Um, See, so if you if you have a younger congregation, uh, when I was a pastor of uh, the church here in Ottawa, 
I would say probably 80% of our giving was done online. So the reality is, is my kids don't even know what a check is. It's not something that they're familiar with. Yet often in mainline congregations, the age of those congregations is, um, is uh, 70 plus. So their use of technology is definitely uh, less of, and more limited. So it does take the congregation to discover that there are other ways of giving and then educating their people um, on how to do that. So there are online ways to give and in um, their Canada helps and others are great organizations um, that can help you set up uh, as a nonprofit organization that requires um, donations uh, to do, set that up uh, online. Okay, Dave. So you've described where you are today, three years from now, what would you like your organization to look like? Yeah, in terms of, I'll speak to both, because I think, I think there's a dual purpose in, in where they collide and, uh, and connect. Kind of my life purpose is to see um, neighborhoods become neighborhoods again, where people connect, where people know each other, where there is an asset mapping, and we know what are the assets in my neighborhood and the greatest assets are the people, but what do those people carry? What are the assets, what are the assets that they bring? And to see us as neighbors and neighborhoods, um, know each other and connect with each other. So I want to create space where that can happen. Um, and create a model to see that happen. Um, and I think on the parish property side, I think our church buildings are part of that. We need third spaces. We need spaces where we can come into and connect and grow um, be who we fully are. So I think our, uh, those community spaces are really important because we're losing them. We're losing them in our cities. We're losing them in our neighborhoods. And uh, I think to protect those community spaces, those third spaces where we can gather and connect. So I want to, I want to animate those spaces. I want to help people animate them. I want to animate them, um, and see those spaces become, uh, utilized for the arts and for, uh, mums and tots groups and uh, those things that in the neighborhood we all love and long uh, and long to see uh, continue. So how well today do communities of faith engage with their neighborhoods? They don't. Yeah, I would say the communities of faith have been stuck similar to what we see within business is that there's a way of operating that, that needs shifted. You know, when I look at the example that I give often um, is people will, you know, will look at, uh, movies, and if you have a um, kind of blockbuster going to the video store model, you look and go, oh my God, no one's watching movies anymore. And it's actually the opposite. No, people are watching more movies than ever, but the platform in which they're doing that has changed. So if you're trying to keep a video store going and the realities now of Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, um, you've got a challenge because the medium has changed. So it's not that people aren't watching movies is that the way in which they're watching them is different. And I feel that's the same way with faith, spirituality, and the way in which we engage connection in our communities. So we need to pivot. We need to change um, how we do that. So yeah, Sunday gatherings are a massive decline and that's going to continue. That's not going to change um, how people gather around spirituality has shifted. And I think what we need are spiritual entrepreneurs, those who are innovating on the edges to go, what does the new look like? And let's begin to experiment. Let's do some micro experiments on the edges and begin to discover what the new could be. What about interfaith? Uh, 
connections. I, 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 my experience so far in uh, visiting various uh, communities of faith is they don't do a very good job of interacting with other faiths. It's very true. Yeah, I was at a, a round table. Um, we were talking uh, in Ottawa about becoming a sanctuary city, and that brought a lot of uh, different uh, faith leaders into the conversation, um, Muslim, Jewish. Uh, the United Church was there, um, some Mennonite churches and others were there, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful conversation when the question was asked, what brings you to this table? And it was amazing to see um, that there is this uh, humanity in all of us that we can connect to, this, this way in which we all long to be human. Um, and I think connecting with other faiths is really important. Why, why don't, uh, say, people in the United Church go to a mosque service? Why don't they go to a synagogue service? And vice versa. Why don't the people from those faiths come to the United Church? Yeah, I'm wondering if, if a lot of it comes down to fear, um, fear of the other. I think we've lost this ability um, to be curious, to ask questions. Um, and I could say the same thing. Why don't we cross the street and connect um, with someone who's queer? Or why don't we cross the street and connect with someone of a different um, ethnic background than maybe I am? Or why don't we? So we often don't uh, like to cross the divides of difference. We love affinity and we love being with people like us. And it actually takes um, courage and a vulnerability to cross the, let's, you know, proverbial street, to use a metaphor, to cross the street and actually be with someone different than me and be curious and ask questions and find the common, um, uh, the, co the commonalities that connect us all as human. And, and I think, you know, we discover some beautiful things if we could, if we could do that. So what does it take? Does it take social entrepreneurs to, uh, uh create change and to try to, uh, connect these folks together? Yeah, I think what we're doing at Story Nights is to have diverse stories, to, to, to bring diversity together. So diversity of age, diversity of socioeconomic, diversity of race. And if we can create spaces of diversity, then it, it hopefully allows for increased curiosity. Where I hear a story of someone, I go, oh, but I have more questions and I want to, maybe a coffee then happens after that or you know they get together or they connect or they see each other walking down the street and say hi and, and maybe even a meal gathering around a table um happens and i i i want us to to create spaces of diversity where people can begin to to see the beauty um that is around them the beauty and diversity and hopefully um have them be uh, curious uh, about what it is to actually love and engage with those uh, different than them. Well, what's exciting about what you're doing, Dave, is you are a spiritual innovator. And uh, yeah. you are making a difference. Well, thank you so much, Peter. I have used that, that word before, spiritual entrepreneur. Right. So now the final question is, 
How do people connect with you? What's the website that you would recommend people connect to? Um, so there's two, parish.properties. Um, that's the work that we do in helping churches um, to generate the income that they need to renovate, upgrade, enhance um, their mission uh, and their space. And then the other one is uh, would be goodcitypeople.ca. Um, Sorry, and would you say that again, please? Yeah, let me just, uh, one second, let me just make sure I got the address right. I believe it's good, good city people. Okay. Dot. That's good city people.com. Good city people.com. And that, uh, that shares a little bit about what we're doing here in Ottawa and beyond, uh, and the work that we're doing in our neighborhoods. Terrific. Well, I hope that, uh, people listening today will make the effort to uh, connect with you. And if they're from other provinces, we would certainly hope that they could connect you and maybe replicate the same thing in their communities. Yes, we are more than happy to serve um, across Canada, the U.S., and beyond to help um, communities discover what uh, what they can be doing in their neighborhoods. So we, uh, we're working with a number of communities uh, in the States right now and, and, uh, and across Canada. So we're here to help and serve. Thank you for your time, Dave. It's been a, a very wide-opening and interesting experience that you've had. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been a joy to uh, be on with you. Thankful for you and the work that you're doing, uh, helping us uh, innovate and create and giving us the resources and the tools to do that well.